The battle over redistricting now in its final stretch. Today we'll hear from GOP Chair Kyle Hupfer and see more of our interview with Democratic Chair Mike Schmoll. Plus, with the threat of a government shutdown looming amidst the ongoing pandemic, we talk one-on-one with Senator Mike Braun and with the Biden administration's vaccination coordinator. All that and the lieutenant governor on helping more Hoosiers get access to broadband. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. Indiana's coronavirus numbers continue to improve somewhat in recent days with new developments this week on Pfizer boosters now available for millions of Americans. We'll be talking more about that later today. We're also talking about this looming deadline in Washington to fund the federal government with the potential threat of a government shutdown next week as lawmakers battle over the spending bill proposed by Democrats and their calls to raise the debt ceiling. This week, our Kristen Eskow asked Senator Mike Braun about the fight over the debt ceiling and what could happen next in Washington. Uh, You've said you're voting against raising the debt ceiling. Tell me why. Okay, number one, I want to make it clear that we've accumulated all this debt up until recently by fault of both parties. I mean, Republicans and Democrats have been running this place in a way that's been irresponsible for years. Only two and a half years ago, when I got here, we were $18 trillion in debt. Now we're 28 trillion. And I think the thing that bothers me here is uh, it was bipartisan on what we did in 2020 to address the emergency issues regarding COVID. Here, uh, through the rescue bill, 1.9 trillion, and now the four and a half to five trillion hard and soft infrastructure, there's not a Republican that voted for it. So raising the debt ceiling can be done entirely by the Democrats. Generally, it's divided government where both have to do it. So since we didn't vote for any of the recent spending, and I think this should have been recognized a long time ago that we can't keep spending and consuming money through the federal government. It's so much extra normal spending unrelated to our trillion dollar deficits we do annually or the bipartisan bill we did together back in 2020. Are you worried about the potential consequences if the U.S. No, does because uh, generally it's going to get raised, and it's just a question of when the Democrats decide to do it. They can do that as part of the reconciliation bill, by the way. Did want to ask you about that bill as well. Senator yeah. Manchin this week saying, he has a limit for that bill of about $1.5 trillion as opposed to the $3.5 trillion that has been proposed. I know you had said you're not necessarily opposed to all the programs in that package. So if that package was smaller, had a more narrow focus, could it gain your support? I said clearly that I wouldn't be opposed to, to discussing the issues through regular order and budget process. And this is turning out almost exactly how I predicted it. I've been on record recently as saying cinema and or mansion will end up agreeing to a lesser amount. And the Democrats have put so much into it from Biden, Pelosi to Schumer, that I thought that might be how it gets resolved. That remains to be seen, because at one time he said he didn't want to do any of it through the method. But that doesn't surprise me that He may say, hey, I've got a victory. I made it at least only one to 1.5 trillion, maybe two versus 3.5. I also wanted to ask you about the Biden administration's COVID mandates. Um, You've said you're opposed to those mandates he's issued. 
But Indiana Democrats have pointed out back in 2017 when you were at the State House, you did vote in favor of a bill uh, that became law that requires the meningitis vaccine at public colleges and universities. So what changed for you in that time now opposing vaccine mandates? That was very narrow and it was done at the state level. And it was done to where at least legislators had a vote on it. Here, this is an edict uh, from the highest level of authority that involves everyone. Vanessa there with Senator Mike Braun. Meantime, this week, amidst the news about boosters and Pfizer's announcement of promising test results on kids 5 to 11, we spoke with White House vaccination coordinator Dr. Bashara Chukar. Now we have to wait for Pfizer to submit the application to the FDA. The FDA will have to review the data to ensure the safety and the effectiveness of the vaccine for kids 5 to 11. Once the FDA makes that regulatory decision, then there'll be an advisory committee to the CDC that includes scientists and researchers and doctors who will review the data and opine on the use of the safety and effectiveness of the vaccine for kids. And then the CDC will make the final decision uh, on that. So we know it's a process and might take several weeks, but it's really important that we follow this process. We follow the data, we follow the science. So by the time we get to the FDA and the CDC decision, we are very confident about the safety and effectiveness for vaccines for five to 11 years old. We'll have to wait and see what the FDA and CDC decision is on the vaccine safety and effectiveness for this age group. But until then, there's a lot of stuff we can do to make sure that those kids stay safe. We wanna make sure that their older siblings are vaccinated. You as a parent around them are vaccinated. Your grandparents are vaccinated. Their teachers, their bus driver. It's really important that we create a space around those kids so that we can surround them with vaccinated people so we can protect them and protect our families. Our interview there with the White House vaccination coordinator. Meantime, this week, we're also following the latest on the redistricting process at the Statehouse. Got our first look at the state Senate maps this past week, and we could get a final vote on these maps here in the coming days with both parties still feeling quite differently about the process and how it's played out. Democrats say the process wasn't transparent. Republicans say there were some significant population shifts they had to work with in drawing up these new maps. As you know, a lot of rural areas uh, didn't have as much population gain or potentially even lost, but uh, the Marion County and the urban uh, suburban area around it certainly gained a lot of population. So this was an idea to follow uh, to help follow that population around the state. The most glaring thing that you will see is that 10 senators represent Marion County. 10. That's 20% of the legislature is in Marion County, which is absurd. Now, you can take a closer look at those maps on our website. This week, I asked GOP Chairman Kyle Hupfer about the maps and about the redistricting reaction. Let's start with redistricting, with more maps being unveiled this week at the Statehouse. Is this truly a fair process? Sure it is. Um, I think they've done a great job. I mean, if you look at um, some of the things that are really critical, compactness of districts, keeping community interests together, they've really made a lot of progress over the the prior maps, uh, cutting down the number of split counties, which we hear a lot from, from folks. They want to be in one congressional district, one state house district, one Senate district. There's obviously, you know, when you're trying to get to one person, one vote in Congress or down to, you know, one to 2% deviation for the state uh, general assembly seats, it's hard to do that. 
uh, keep everything intact, but they've done a good job. The, the maps look clean, as you pointed out, in terms of keeping counties to, together. Democrats have pointed out it's still uh, drawn to, they feel, your political advantage. Last week, we spoke with your counter, counterpart, Democratic Chair Mike Schmoll, and he said this about redistricting. This was all done behind closed doors uh, and done well in advance of, of the last couple of days. And so, you know, they hired a D.C. GOP operative to kind of come in. Uh, kind of fix the system to their liking. And I think that that's unfair for Hoosiers. What's your response to that? Yeah, I mean, listen, uh, if you look at Indiana, you can't draw maps that aren't going to favor the Republican Party. Um, we've got 88% of countywide elected officials in the state are Republican now, 88% Dan. So when Democrats say that's not that the legislature doesn't reflect the state, it certainly does. And nobody is redrawing the county lines. Um, and so, so we are a significant Republican state, a Republican majority, and where there are Democrat populations, they're pretty condensed in, in cities and municipalities, Bloomington, Indianapolis, Northwest Indiana. And so all, a lot of their Democrats are all going to get drawn into, into, you know, one or two or three districts in those areas. So, um, we're a Republican state, we're red, you know, we have wide swaths of this state where it's nothing but Republicans elected. But, but I'm, I get away from the politics on this, and it's because of the policies. Listen, Hoosiers are happy with, with where this state is. You know, low unemployment, record jobs, record wages. Republican leadership has been strong in this state, and they're going to continue to elect us regardless of what the maps look like. How involved were you in this process? None. Stayed out of it. Heard things at the end, saw maps at the end. Um, it's really a legislative prerogative, um, and I think they did a good job with it. What do you see as the future of the Republican Party here in Indiana and nationwide? Well, we're looking at, you know, redistricting will impact us as well. You know, once those maps are finalized, uh, whatever form they take, we'll, we'll re reorganize our state committee based on the congressional district. So we may have some new leadership at the state committee. Um, you know, I think both in Indiana and nationally, the Republican Party is focused on 2022. I mean, we've got to break the stronghold of, of Congress, Senate, uh, and the president in D.C. I mean, we're seeing the horrible policies that are that are bit trying to be enacted. We're hanging on by the filibuster to stop a lot of this legislation and relying upon a couple of moderate Democrats to, to hold that line. Um, luckily, it's been held to a large degree so far. Um, you know, they're, they're pushing for, for a, an agenda in Washington, D.C. that is not in alignment with Indiana, that's for sure. GOP Chair Kyle Hupfer there. Coming up next on this week's edition of In Focus, we'll talk with our panel about President Biden's agenda, and we'll look at a new poll about whether voters think the country is on the right track currently or the wrong track next. People are dying and will die who don't have to die. It is not hyperbole suggest it's literally a tragedy. President Biden holding a news conference Friday announcing the expansion of booster shots for millions of Americans, but the White House still dealing with multiple other crises these past few months from overseas to the border. A new poll from The Hill showing that 54 percent of voters think the country is on the wrong track right now. Forty one percent say it's on the right track. This is Congress faces yet another deadline and more division over how to move forward on some of the president's key agenda items. Let's bring in our panel right now. Jennifer Wagner, Mike Murphy, Robin Winston, Tony Samuel. And let's start with Jennifer Wagner, former communications director for the Indiana Democrats. Jennifer, the president's polling numbers have also taken a hit in recent weeks. Does he have the political capital he needs right now to get some of those agenda items across the finish line? 
Yeah, that's a great question, Dan. And I think, you know, this is another example of governing is always harder than getting elected, right? Um, there's all these irons in the fire. Um, the answer is, I mean, I think that he does have the capital. Obviously, Democrats are in control uh, in Washington. Um, there are some that are sitting on the fence that may need some persuasion. But I think ultimately he will get these bills through. Um, he will be able to confront the climate crisis. Uh, you know, we will be able to build back better our infrastructure. So I believe that he will be able to do those things. But I also think it's because he has a steady hand. He is not panicking. He is not governing from the hip, if you will. And I think in the long term, that approach is going to be highly successful for him. All right, let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Mike, you have the politics involved here. You also have the pandemic itself. Certainly some confusion ahead of that final overruling decision from the CDC Friday that put things in motion for Indiana and other states to start getting those booster shots out to people who are eligible. How would you assess the administration's handling of this booster rollout specifically? Well, I think uh, by and large, I think Biden's done a good job with COVID. Um, more people are getting the shots. Um, we're getting closer to the, the herd immunity. Um, he did not cause the earthquakes in Haiti to happen, um, but he has screwed up Afghanistan big time. So like most presidents of either party, he has a mixed record at this point. Well, let's bring in former state party chair for the Indiana Democrats, Robin Winston. Uh, Robin, your response to that? And how do you assess the president's ability here so far to handle these, these many crises that they've faced? Well, I listen to what Jennifer said, and he's talking about governing. He is governing. Think about right here in Indiana, Dan. We can get $6 billion back into the state for human and capital infrastructure, roads, bridges, support for Medicare, things like that that matter at the kitchen table. So the president is doing that. Yes, you're right. He's taken on a lot, but that goes with the job, and he's well prepared for it. The one thing that we will say is it's been calm and smooth, and that certainly is a change from the past. Let's go finally here to Tony Samuel, 2016 vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. Tony, how does all of this set the stage for 2022 politically with, with the midterms right around the corner? Well, let me say this. Uh, this country was on an upward trajectory, and then Joe Biden and Kamala Harris took office, and in eight months, we are now spiraling downward. And I say that because there's all of these crises. There's the border. There's Afghanistan. There's people still trapped in Afghanistan. It's been like 26 days, and he hasn't addressed that. Americans trapped behind enemy lines in Afghanistan, and he won't talk about it. There's crime surging. There's Antifa that that uh, that rioted throughout last summer. Nobody's investigated that. There's inflation. The list goes on and on. You can't be doing this poorly as a president unless you're doing this on purpose. And let me explain that a little bit. When we were looking through the elections before he was the nominee, remember everyone, the 25 or 30 Democrat candidates were moving further and further to the left. We talked about this a lot. He joined them. Then he tried to act like he was a moderate, but he's so swayed by the progressives, the people that are really controlling things and his agenda. And they're trying to tear this country down to build it back, not better, but in a different form. And that is okay. driven by the Marxist ideology that is now taking over the Democrat Party. Not folks here in Indiana, okay. but on the national level and the national media, you're seeing it in schools okay. with critical race theory. This is really but, much more serious than bad poll numbers right now. Jennifer, um, a lot to unpack there. Um, I guess the obvious question after uh, a lot of the things Tony had to say there is, 
yes, there's a lot going on in the news. Uh, do the Republicans have a focused enough message on 2022 and, and what specifically uh, they'll be taking to voters here in the midterms next year? Well, I think you heard all of the buzzwords right there in Tony's uh, diatribe. I mean, you've got it all, right? Scary, scary, scary. Big fear, you know. Uh, what, I don't know how many times you're going to hear Kamala Harris's name. Uh, we have to talk about critical race theory, which, by the way, has nothing to do with anything that's going on in schools right now. But that's what we're going to get. More of the same fear tactics and scaremongering. And I honestly think that voters are tired of it. That's all they got from Donald Trump. And I think they want something different. I think they want, like Robin said, that steady hand, someone who knows how to govern and has their best interests at heart. Mike, what about the impact of redistricting here in Indiana? Let's talk a little bit more about that. The state Senate maps released this past week. Uh, Democrats objecting to the way that Marion County was split up with 10 different districts that are partly in Indianapolis and then stretch out to more rural areas, too. How will these new maps impact the the inner workings of our state legislature. We've seen some lawmakers announce their, their retirements as well because of uh, different districts and how things will be mapped out moving forward. Well, we already have super majorities, uh, Dan, in both chambers, so I don't think it really affects the game much at all. You have to remember that, that people move to opportunity. And ever since, frankly, began in the administration of uh, former Governor Evan Bayh, and we've had three Democratic governors and three Republican governors since then, people continue to move towards central Indiana because that's where the opportunity is. The redistricting has to reflect that by law. So I got a kick out of uh, Chairman Schmuel referring to uh, people on the Republican side as Washington operatives. There's no greater Washington operative than Chairman Schmuel. He ran a presidential campaign. That by definition, is a Washington operative. Robin, your view on all this, and particularly how, how it impacts those Senate districts here in Indy. I'd be remiss if I didn't think that Tony missed January the 6th. That's gonna be the issue in 22. Did you happen to remember that people tried to overturn our democracy, threatened the Republican Vice President of the United States, stormed the Capitol, beat up Capitol Police? That, to me, trumps everything, no pun intended. Back to redistricting, I've been through it before. I was state chair when we had 50-50. We turned it to 53-47 because we picked up three seats. Democrats will have to get their message about kitchen table issues out. It has to resonate. And I believe that that will happen in 22. Tony, what's your response to that? Well, um, a couple of things. These aren't just buzzwords. These are the reasons why Biden's polling numbers uh, are sinking. Uh, we just spent $70 to fill up my wife's car with gas. That's crazy. Food is, the cost of food's going up. Food, the cost of lumber is going up. People died in Afghanistan. Our military service members, 13 of them, that should not have ever happened. That's on Joe Biden. As far as what Robin said, yeah, some, some, some people did some dumb things on January 6th, but why don't we talk about the riots that Antifa and Black Lives Matter, all the deaths that they caused. Nobody died except for one person that was shot by Capitol police officer in the neck that was a, a Trump supporter. That was one of the people that, that uh, came into the Capitol. There was an Nobody officer, died on there the was a police side, officer like they who did died during there. the Black yeah, Lives Matter. There was Matter a police riots. officer who died in, in the midst of January 6th as well, uh, in, the, in the midst of that situation. Right. Jennifer, but he wasn't killed. That was, that was from a stroke. And there was there was a lot of well, uh, uh, falsehoods around that uh, when I, it first came out from the media. I, I'm not. I'm not really sure that, that we know uh, enough about that to, 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 to say that definitively here. Um, 
Look, uh, obviously a lot to unpack ahead of the midterms uh, next year, no doubt about it. And we'll continue to have that conversation uh, here with our panel. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, we're going to hear from a potential candidate for governor in 2024, Lieutenant Governor Suzanne Crouch, talking about the issue of expanding broadband access here in Indiana. It's coming up next. A new state program is working to get broadband service to more Hoosiers. The lieutenant governor says it's difficult for the state and utility providers to identify everyone in need of broadband. So the new Indiana connectivity program will allow Hoosiers to directly inform the state that their home or business lacks Internet access. If they qualify, the state will connect that person or business with a broadband provider and fund the necessary work. Now because of COVID, Hoosiers are determining that they want to work from home and continue to work from home. Corporations are saying, we want to keep employees. We need to be flexible and allow them to do that if they want. Hoosiers can send in applications starting Monday. We're going to share information on how to apply on our website. Stick around. We're back after this with this week's Winners and Losers. Colts and the Titans today at 1 on CBS 4. It all starts with the Colts Blue Zone pregame at 1130 right after Face the Nation. Fox 59 has the Browns and Bears, followed by the Bucks and the Rams. All right, time for this week's winners and losers. Tony, I'll start with you. Well, Dan, to finally answer your question from earlier, because Joe Biden's my loser for all the reasons I stated earlier, I think Republicans will be winners in 2022. And so you could say this week as well. Robin. Stanley Cox, first African-American chemist ever hired by Eli Lilly. Hired in 57, died in 2019, just gave $190,000 away to secure African-American historical sites around the state. Uh, 11 different sites were selected. Tremendous job. Thank Mike? you. Mike? Uh, the two winners, actually. Uh, the local news media for holding Hammer and Nigel uh, accountable for false, uh, irresponsible, and hyperbolic statements about the refugees at Atterbury. And uh, another winner is Rhonda Cook. Congratulations to her on the launching of her new public affairs company, Cook Government Advisors. Jennifer, 10 seconds here. Uh, yeah, so uh, my winner, uh, wearing pearls on her behalf, uh, is my friend Carol, who many of us know at the State House. And uh, I hope that the loser long term is her cancer that she had surgery for. And that's the same for anyone out there who's battled cancer. Yeah, well said, no doubt about it. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.